Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. I'm a little disappointed though, Dr. R, that um, for this banquet tonight, you didn't get up here and make sure that all these guys have a date. Um, because uh, if I remember right, many, many years ago when I was here, that wasn't allowed. That was like a rule that, uh, and uh, I remember getting teamed up with someone in a chapel to go to a, a banquet. And uh, Dr. R had, of course, there was only, what, 35 of us that first year, so that was pretty, <laughs> pretty easy to match up. This might take a little bit of time, I guess, to figure it out. But uh, Dr. R, the matchmaker, I don't know if he's still at work. But, um, but anyway, that brought back good memories when he was saying, if you need one ticket or two ticket. And um, that was your cue to get up and say, no, no, nobody buys one ticket. All right, we need two. Yeah, buy two. <laughs> good. Luke chapter number one. I'm going to read several verses, starting in verse number five, and really this morning, just going to walk through these, uh, these 24 verses and uh, hope to uh, just uh, pull out a few things here that have really challenged me, and I trust that the Lord will use it to challenge you and your heart uh, this morning uh, here in chapel. Look, if you would, at verse number five. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and, be, and, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said to him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of the ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. We're introduced here in Luke chapter one 
to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias and Elizabeth lived during the days of King Herod. This would be Herod the Great. He reigned from 37 to 4 BC. And really, Herod the Great was nothing more than a puppet king. He was put in place by the empire of Rome. This was not a very peaceful time in Israel. They were watching a foreign power occupy their land, and they, they desperately desired deliverance. They longed for deliverance from this foreign power. And here is Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we find that uh, this, uh, this couple is uh, up in years. They are older uh, in uh, years. They are descendants of, of Aaron. Uh, Aaron, the brother of Moses, the uh, uh, high uh, priest, the, the father of the priesthood. Uh, we learn that Zacharias' family has served in the temple since uh, the reign of David in the Old Testament. We learn that Elizabeth here is from the daughters of Aaron. Her line went back directly uh, to, uh, to Aaron. And here in uh, their old uh, age, they are remaining righteous before God. That's not me calling them righteous. That's God saying that they were righteous. He even uses the word blameless here. They were blameless. They were above reproach. They uh, followed the commandments of the Lord. And so here they are up in years, remaining faithful in the Lord, righteous, blameless, continuing forward. But we also learn of Zacharias and Elias that they had faced a lifelong challenge. And um, we're not to miss this when we read this story. We are to recognize and see the significance of the challenge or the disappointment that had taken place in this couple's life, for they had no children. She was barren. She could not bear children. We need to recognize how disappointing that was to them. In fact, it was Elizabeth that said, he has taken away my reproach amongst men. Uh, it really was a reproach for a woman not to be able to bear children. Uh, in this culture, uh, that would be reason for a man to be able to bring in another, a handmaiden, to be able to have children. Uh, they looked down upon a woman who was barren. Uh, they uh, saw uh, children as being the blessing of God. So if God was withholding children, then he was withholding that blessing for a reason. And uh, there would have been a lot of stigmas. There would have been a lot placed on this couple. But none of that would have compared to just the disappointment of not being able to have children. Um, no doubt the desire and the hope early on in their life was there. The anticipation of one day being able to have children, I'm sure that then turned to concern and prayer. We know they prayed for children. And then that would have changed to realizing they're not going to have children. And now they're well stricken in years. And they lived with that disappointment that they would never be able to have, to have children. And that reproach, I know in our society we don't, we don't see that the same, we don't recognize the same, but, but understand in this culture, that was a big deal. When she says he has removed the reproach that I have amongst men, 
And that society, there would have been a lot of reproach that would have been put upon this couple. This was extreme disappointment in their life. But yet we find Zacharias and Elizabeth staying faithful in the midst of that disappointment. I think that's a great challenge in the lives of these two folks that sometimes we miss is that while their life had been filled with a disappointment, this wasn't a disappointment event. This was a lifelong disappointment in their life and yet it was responded with, with faithfulness and with righteous living in their, in their life. You know, sometimes we, in our disappointments, can develop a terrible theology. We sometimes associate the blessings of God with God's approval of us. And it's wrong thinking, but it can cause us to doubt the goodness of God. And many times it's in our disappointments that we struggle in our thinking, in our concepts about, about God. And here is this couple that is going through a lifelong disappointment and yet they just remained faithful, blameless in righteousness. In other words, they served God even though they didn't have what they wanted. What they wanted was a child. What they desired was a child. What they had prayed for was a child. But they served God even though they didn't get what they wanted. Um, they uh, were faithful. They remained righteous. They had a heart that remained faithful unto the Lord even though their desires were not met. You know, being faithful does not mean that you're gonna have a challenge-free life. Living for God doesn't mean that you're not gonna face disappointments in this life. I know you already know this, but life is hard. Life can be challenging. Life can be difficult. And sometimes we face challenges that we wouldn't desire to face and sometimes we go through things and it seems as God is not answering our prayers or taking away that reproach or that challenge. But um, being faithful doesn't, doesn't mean that we're exempt from bad things happening to us or exempt from disappointments. You serve God, you stay faithful with God, you're still gonna face disappointments. You're gonna face some challenges. Um, not all of your desires are gonna be granted. Not all the things that you want, not all the things that you would like to see in your life, they may not all come to pass. But you know, we don't serve God for what we can get. No, that's prosperity gospel. That's not Bible gospel. You do not serve God for what you can get. If you only serve God for what you can get, you're truly just serving yourself. We do not, we do not live well so that we can receive all our hopes and desires from God. No, we live well because of who God is 
and in him we have all our hopes and all our desires. Zacharias and Elizabeth endured a lifelong challenge, disappointment, and they met it with faithfulness and righteous living. And that really caused me to look in here and ask myself, will I serve God faithfully in those times when I don't get the answers I wanted to get? Or when disappointments come my way? No child, but God meant more to them than what they wanted. God meant more to them than what they had desired. And so they remained faithful in that disappointment. We then find Zacharias in the next several verses, starting in verse number eight, being faithful to his duty as a priest um, according to the custom. Uh, you have to go back and read this. We're not going to do that. That's in First Chronicles chapter 24 when it would go through the customs of the priest. But I think it's important to recognize that Zacharias, according to that order, would have gone to the temple twice a year. Uh, in other words, it wasn't the same priest that would work at the temple every, every day or every week. They, they did it on a rotation. They were in a group, and they would go and, and do the duties of the priesthood, and they would do it on a rotation. And the rotation would only take a man, uh, a priest, to the temple twice a year. And so now, on one of those occasions, he is in the group of men, the group of priests that are now there uh, to uh, take care of uh, those, uh, those duties. And then it says that the lot fell upon Zacharias to be the one to go into the temple. Now that would have been a great special privilege. That would not have happened uh, every time they went to the temple because they would have uh, had lots to see who would go, uh, go in. There was no special treatment. There wasn't one over another. That was the way it was set, uh, set up with the priest there. And now Zacharias on this occasion has the lot fall to him. He's the one that gets to go into the holy place. He's the one that gets to go next to the altar and burn uh, the incense while everyone else in the multitude remains outside of that temple and praying. This would have been a special occasion and I'm sure he would have been very, very excited about that. And so while the multitude's outside uh, praying and he's inside taking care of those peace, priestly duties of, of burning that incense, all of a sudden we see that Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, appears unto uh, Zacharias. Um, I, I know we know this, but let's just make sure like we just kind of in the story, right? This doesn't happen every day, right? Um, this, is, this is unusual. Um, Gabriel, the angel of the Lord. Now, we see Gabriel show up a few times. We've seen angels show up a few times. Usually the response is one of two. These are magnificent creations of God. They, when they're described in the Bible, it's almost hard to wrap our minds around what they might look like uh, when he describes angels. But they were glorious. They were supernatural. They, they, they struck either fear or the person that they uh, uh, came uh, to face-to-face uh, -face with thought they were in the presence of God himself. So they either thought they were in the presence of God or they were stricken with fear at just the sight of an angel. And now this angel is before Zacharias, and Zacharias is struck with fear. I mean, he is trembling. Now think about this. You're in the holiest place. And on some level, there would have been a fear, an awe, of just going into that place. There would have been great privilege and excitement to be the one that falls on. But let's remember in the Old Testament, that was some serious, serious business, right? I mean, there were some serious ramifications for going into the holiest place, not right before God. So you're going into the presence 
of a holy, magnificent God. I'm sure there's a little bit of, uh, uh, I mean, there's reasons why they have bells in the bottom of their garments. There's reason why they tied a rope to the end of their leg when they went in there, right? Because not everybody came out. So, so we're talking about a serious time. So can you imagine, you're already just kind of, you know, taking care of those duties and, and, and in awe and respect and honor of God, the living God, and then all of a sudden Gabriel shows up? I mean, you'd, you'd be struck with fear too. And so he is, struck, he is struck with fear. But you know, angels are just messengers of the Lord. In fact, Acts tells us that they are deliverers of the word of God. And that's exactly what Gabriel had come to do. He was there to give a message from God to Zacharias. And it's quite a message. Uh, we've already read it uh, there in verse number 13. But, but just walk through the message real quick, and then I'll move on. It says, but the angel said to him, fear not. Well, that would have been comforting, right? Fear not. And then he says, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. I love that. Thy prayer is heard. Now, there is no doubt that I'm sure for many, many years, Zacharias and Elizabeth had prayed for a child, fasted and prayed and longed for God to hear their prayers and give them a child. But by Zacharias' response, which we'll get to in a little bit, my guess, my assumption is they had stopped praying a long time ago. I mean, they're well stricken in years. It's past the time. It's not possible to have children any longer. The days of praying for a child have long been past. And so think of the words of Gabriel when he comes to Zacharias and says, thy prayers have been heard. God hears prayer. Even when you think he's not listening. Even when you think he's not answering, he hears your prayer. He heard Zacharias' prayer. He had not ignored their prayer. Boy, what a, what a thought that is, that we have a prayer hearing and we have a prayer answering God. His ear was attentive to Zacharias. No, he hadn't answered in their timing. And they had stopped praying a long time ago, but God had not forgotten those prayers. And he tells them that they're going to be, uh, they're going to bear a son. They're going to name him John. There's going to be joy. There's going to be delight in verse number 14, he says. There's going to be rejoicing at his birth. Verse 15 says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. By the way, it doesn't say that he'll be great in the sight of man. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Those actually go together. Um, remember that uh, the Holy Ghost doesn't reside in every believer at this time. That, that time was still to come. But it wasn't new for the Spirit of God to come upon a life for a specific task or a specific office. And, and, but when the Spirit of God would come upon a, a, a life, uh, then there was uh, 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 oftentimes referred to like a Nazarite vow that they were to not be involved with strong drink or wine, nothing uh, they were under the control of the Spirit of God, and therefore nothing should go in their mind that would, would hinder that control or take control other than the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Uh, the Nazarite vow, many took the Nazarite vow, but typically it would be just for a specific task, 
Uh, there are very few that ever took a lifelong Nazarite, uh, Nazarite vow. Uh, Samuel would be one, uh, Samson was another, and many believe John the Baptist was, uh, was one as well. But the two connect together. But just the thought that the Spirit of God, God himself was gonna reside in this little baby and in him, even in the womb of his mother. Um, he then says in verse number 16 that he's going to turn many of the children of Israel unto the Lord their God. And then verse number 17, he says he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elias in verse number 17. Okay, I just want us to, before I move on, remember, this is historic. This is, this is a, a historic event because, because God has not spoken for over 400 years. So, so think, think of this. God has said nothing for 400 years, complete complete silence, right? From Malachi when the Old Testament ended to, to, the, to, to this point in time, nothing new has been given, no revelation. God, they have not heard anything else from, from God. And so now, at this moment in time, to Zacharias in this holy place, God is speaking again, and he chooses to speak to Zacharias. Unbelievable. Wow. And where does he, um, where does he pick up? Where, where does God begin? Well, this is, this is great, but he picks up right where he left off 400 years earlier. Flip back to Malachi chapter, uh, chapter 4. Last verses of the Old Testament. Last thing God said through the prophet is Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then that's it. Revelation's closed. 400 years plus later, God shows up, sends his messenger Gabriel to Zacharias. And what is the first thing God says? You're gonna have a son. His name's John. He's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's gonna be great in the sight of the Lord. And he's gonna come and he's gonna turn many of the children of Israel's hearts towards their children and to the children toward their fathers. And, and he is gonna prepare the way of the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord. And he says that he is gonna walk in the power and the spirit of Elias. The Old Testament, God gives his promises. New Testament, God fulfills his promises. And the first thing he says is he fulfills the last promise he gave, he fulfills it first thing he says, and Zacharias has a front row seat. <laughs> He's the one that gets to be a, a part of it. This is a magnificent, this is a supernatural event. This is historic. Okay, so then look at verse number 18. Here's Zacharias' response. And Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. So here's this incredible news. Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, standing before him with a message from the living God. You're going to have a son. It's the fulfillment of the last promise God gave to Israel in Malachi. And now it is that time. Here it is. And um, Zacharias says, 
how can I know this is going to happen? After all, I'm old. My wife can't have children. You mean you need more proof than what you just got, Zacharias? God just said it. You need more proof? He sent his angel before you. You are looking in the face of Gabriel and he comes with a message from the living God. But you need more proof? That's not enough? How do I know? After all, I'm old. You see, when your eyes are on your problems and when your focus is on your limitations, then you will never recognize God's word or trust God's promises or even realize the power of an almighty God. Zacharias' focus was so much on, I'm old, and my wife is well-stricken in years. I'm limited. How can this happen? That he never even thought of the magnificence and the power and the ability of his God and the promise and the word that God was giving unto, unto him. I mean, why didn't Zechariah, he's a priest, not in his mind go back. This isn't the first time this has happened. This isn't the first time God's done this. Did not the angel of the Lord come to another older couple that was well stricken in years, that would have been passed down from generation to generation, and Zacharias, no doubt, would have in the forefront of his mind, for it was his forefather Abraham at 90 years old, well stricken in years, or his wife 90, he's 100, and the angel says, you're gonna have a child just as God has promised you, and he doubted, and did God not come through just as he had said? Because he told Sarah, nothing is impossible with God. Why didn't his mind go back and remember the word of God? Why didn't his mind go back to think upon what God had done in the past? Because Zechariah needed proof. See, how can I know he needed proof over promise. In other words, he needed sight over the word. See, the truth was, this was a, a man that was faithful. He was a priest. He was serving God. But he was living by sight and not by faith. He wanted proof over promise because he wanted something he could see rather than by faith depending on what God had said and who God is. You know, unbelief is a, is a sneaky thing. Unbelief has a way of creeping into our hearts very easily. And, and what's so sneaky about it is that we can be right in the midst of serving God we can be right in the midst of doing righteous things like being in a Bible college, sitting in a chapel, 
going to Bible class after Bible class, serving the Lord on a bus route, going out door knocking every, every week. We can be in the midst of doing serving and righteous things and yet in our hearts not believing God. And it surfaces when we are cumbered with worries and anxieties and our fears and our doubts. How can this be? How is this? We, Lord, show me, show me. What are we looking for? We need sight. We want something to see. When God has given us his promises and says, just trust me. Trust me. God will be good to his word. God will be faithful. God says nothing that he does not plan on doing. God will do and God will be just as he declared himself to be and what he declared himself to do. You can trust God this morning. You can take God at his word. You don't need to see. You can believe and you can, you can stand on the promises of God. And so the angel rebukes him. And I think it's interesting, the rebuke he gives. It's almost like Gabriel says, do you not know who I am? And it's almost like he's saying, um, do you know who I work for? And he says, you're going to be dumb, meaning you will not be able to speak. God's going to silence your mouth until this thing takes place. And he leaves then that holiest place unable to speak of that which he has heard, unable to speak of that which he has seen from Gabriel. The people are concerned for him because he's been in there way too long. I'm sure people started getting a little nervous when, he's, when the priests were in the holy place a little too long. But when he comes out and now he's just able to, you know, just obscurely gesture, he can't say anything. They assume that he saw a vision of some sorts, but they have no idea because he cannot, cannot speak. He finishes his duties. He goes home and remains in silence, dumb. And it reminds us that unbelief will silence your voice. And unbelief is what silenced the testimony of the child of God. And when we allow unbelief to creep into our hearts, and when we begin to doubt, and when we begin to question, and we begin to, to, to need proof over promise, what gets silenced is our testimony. What gets silenced is our voice. And this world desperately needs to know that we have a God who can be trusted. And we have a God who is high above and will fulfill every promise and has fulfilled his promises. We have a, a, a world that needs to see in the hearts of God's people faith, not unbelief, because unbelief silences our voice. Don't let your voice be silenced by unbelief. Don't let your testimony be quenched by unbelief. Live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, Hebrews tells us. That which is done not in faith, Romans says, is sin. The just shall live by faith. And in these days, we need God's people to live by faith. Not just be doing righteous things and not just be going through the motions in the midst of 
worries and fears and, and doubts. No, no. What we need is people doing faithful things, righteous things in faith and confidence that God's going to be found true and God's going to be found faithful and God will fulfill his promises every time. Live by faith.